Mike Sello, you'll be in chair one. Danielle in the middle. Jesse on my lap. There you go now. <laughs> oh no, that's so much <laughs> handwritten. It's like all the second show is handwritten. That means I didn't get to reread it. Oh, it's gonna be. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh no. I, I have not read through these prompts either. <laughs> well, I did once when I wrote them, and then <laughs> you know what they say. <laughs> they don't say anything. No. <laughs> all right, here we go. Roughly 24 to 92 hours ago, Stab's team of comedy scientists commissioned four specific humorists to give various potentially comedic takes on several random topics, which they'll now perform for the first and likely last time in front of a live studio audience in a show called... Stab! Hello, welcome. Welcome to Stab. Yeah, clap on the beat. Do what Mike's doing. Clap on the beat. Um, my name's John Ross. I'm the host. John Morris Russell Fourth. I keep forgetting. Yeah. I keep forgetting uh, re-branding. my branding. Rebranding. Yeah. John Morris Russell Fourth. Yeah. I'm the host. Uh, are you guys ready to be your contestants? Woo! Yes. Oh my God. He's coming in hot. He's coming in hot. I use the same uh, uh, phrasal, phrasing last time. Whoa. He's in a. He's on a nacho plate. A giant nacho plate covered in hot sauce. Mike Sella. <laughs> Mike Sella. Mike Sella. Is that Spider-Man? Stab. Is that Superman? She's swinging on some gooey shit off of her hand. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> Daniel Mandela. Daniel Mandela. Oh, look, at, it's the human frisbee. The human frisbee. Ah, uh, grab him. Someone, ah, uh, Jesse Jones. The dog caught him and put him down. All right, very good. The human frisbee. Jesse Jones. Up there for him. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. This is the show we're gonna do right now. Okay. <laughs> All right. Hey guys, let's meet our contestants face to face. Mike Sella, it's been a long time. It's been a while. <laughs> I, I know. We weren't gonna bring it up. We got in a fight out in the alley. We, we, I'm not sure. we didn't get in a fist fight. It was close yeah. though. Yeah. But we get in a little argument. Uh huh. A couple years ago. Yeah. It's fine. I always wonder though. Like who would have won? Who would have won? Yeah, yeah like yeah. you guys. Who would have won? Uh, I think. Come on, come on. Let's. I, they we don't. need. They, so he's pointing at me. Yeah, yeah I no, don't know. Man. I'm old. I have. Well, that's the thing. You're old. That's, I have, but I have, <laughs> that's exactly what I thought. But I have like dad strength. Though. If I start like, to lose, I'll just run around in circles I, for a while. I've held <laughs> babies for 15 years. That's true. But yeah, I, you've had four pregnancies. I've had. So, <laughs> well, that's different yeah. kind of strength. <laughs> Well, Mike, I'm glad we're friends again. Me too. I'm glad you're back on the show again. I'm happy to be Thank here. Thank you for being here, Mike. Thanks. Yes, yes. yes See, look at that. Bury the hatchet. That's Bury how you do it. hatchet. Years later. Forgiveness. I forgive you. I, t- I forgive you. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you after. Right, depending right. on how it goes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Danielle Mandela. Yes. Danielle. Hi. What, what the fuck? <laughs> you know? What's new? What's new? What's your gig? This this is it. This is this, it. This is yeah. my whole gig. Well, cool. I hope yeah. people paid to get in. <laughs> Danielle, two. this is a full full disclosure. Danielle is my child, and uh, <laughs> we have her on my no. Danielle is. And co- I have not forgiven you. For that. <laughs> well, well, Danielle, thanks for being here, and uh, <laughs> be back by eleven. Okay, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> okay, <laughs> Jesse Jones. Yes. Um. Mm-hmm. Why that name? You know? 
Don't think I haven't thought about changing it. <laughs> All right, well, let's go ahead and play step. This first segment's called uh, Reorganization. Uh, you know, we do it every show. Uh, please take this acronym and reimagine it. What does it stand for? Who or what does it now stand for? Who or what does it represent? <laughs> we'll fix that in post. In uh, recognition of April being uh, Stress Awareness Month, uh, today's acronym is FUCK! Again, we're doing fuck. We've done fuck before. We're doing fuck again. Uh, Mike, what does fuck mean <laughs> to you? Uh, fuck stands for future ugly children and kids. Um, let's face facts. Babies are cute, and even if they aren't, there's always a little hope that maybe they will be someday. Uh, but there's a point in time in some babies' lives where it becomes apparent that they are probably going to be ugly as fuck. Though rare cases of adult-onset ugliness do exist, most ugliness tends to occur primarily between the ages of 2 and 12. Most former babies are mentally unequipped to transition from cuteness to ugliness and the ensuing <laughs> lack of love and attention from their family and friends. That's where future ugly children and kids comes in. Future ugly children and kids is a support group that gives kids the tools to handle their ugliness. Activity time offers funhouse mirrors, makeup stations, and selfie filters. Kids at fuck are encouraged to develop Kids at fuck are encouraged. Kids fuck. Uh, <laughs> fuck kids. Uh, they're encouraged to develop their personality and intelligence. So we offer structured group lecture and conversation, and each child is given a paper bag of donated books that pretty kids don't want to take home with them. <laughs> pretty kids? <laughs> <laughs> pretty kids. Bonus, the bag doubles as a hat. Uh, plus tutorials like living with cats. Uh, <laughs> Embracing the friend zone and <laughs> jerking off through the tears. Uh, <laughs> future ugly children and kids. We're gross and we don't give a fuck. <laughs> Very good. Mike Sella. Triumphant return to the... All right. Excuse me. Uh, no, you're not Jacqueline. <laughs> Danielle. <laughs> I don't mean to... Sorry. Uh, what, do, what does fuck mean to you? Got a pesky cock on your block, <laughs> rising at dawn like a clock with elongated squawks. Does the shock of his box drive you nuts like a fox? It's time to knock that cock off. At Faulkner's Undercover Cock Knockers, <laughs> we know just how to box your problem cocks. Lots of cock knockers say they off your cock, but can they walk the walk when the box comes to squawk? <laughs> Doc Faulkner's flock of hard knocks is cock knocking on lock. First, we stalk your cock like hawks. Then, like a John Hughes jock, we mock your cocks with glares and gawks. At last, some sticks and rocks will kill your cock, but you didn't hear that from us. Don't let another tick turn to talk. Call Faulkner's undercover cock knockers and talk to a certified cock knocker today. Faulkner's undercover cock knockers, we knock the pox off your obnoxious cocks. <laughs> Very good, Danielle Mandela. Wait, was this the erotic poem one? Or <laughs> yeah, <that was laughs> it's two or three in one. Ugh. Jesse Jones, what the fuck? Yeah, yeah. That's what I was just thinking. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> Confidence. <clears throat> <laughs> Last night, while I was blissfully dreaming of flying over steamy hot fudge rivers... 
in a steampunk airship made of grandfather clocks and top hats, built by me and my new best friend, a giant chess piece with the face of Washington Redskins Hall of Fame wide receiver, Art Monk. (laughs) Which we made in our shared studio apartment that looked just like my childhood home. I was suddenly awoken by four words shouting their way out of my skull. Futuristic unicorn cyborg killers! (laughs) Fuck! I knew immediately that this was the single greatest idea that had ever fought its way past my dumb face. (laughs) But I didn't know for sure what exactly I meant. Were these unicorns from the future that killed cyborgs? Maybe they were futuristic killers fighting against an army of evil unicorn cyborgs. Even more still, it's entirely possible it could just be a new album from the killers (laughs) titled Futuristic Unicorn Cyborg. (laughs) In the end, I don't know exactly what futuristic unicorn cyborg killers are, but as I drifted off back to sleep, I knew that me and Queen guitarist Brian May We're going to have a furious debate about which one it might be while playing roller hockey on a rink that looked straight out of a Tron movie. (laughs) I knew that much for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Very good. That was fuck. (laughs) Nope, wrong one. Uh, This next segment is called the top five Google searches of. Uh, You know, since uh, Jesus just got recognized... Uh, during Easter holiday, um, please compose the top five Google searches from the perspective of James, the brother of Jesus. Mm. Uh, we'll do one at a time. If uh, James had Google, uh, what would he have searched? One at a time. We'll start with you, Mike Sella. I have uh, <clears throat> Google search history. Uh, Roman government customer service hotline. Here <laughs> <laughs> we go. How to deal with a narcissist in your family. (laughs) 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 Boo. Sorry. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Book publisher for manuscript, The Hella Newer Testament. (laughs) (laughs) Very good. Round two. I have uh, how to turn wine back into water. (laughs) Uh, And then a post search, dehydration, WebMD. (laughs) Holy Ghost Adopted? (laughs) (laughs) Film Studios for action film spec script. An eye for an eye. James versus the Romans. They killed his brother. And he's out for revenge. (laughs) 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 And round three. (laughs) Yahweh Answers. And, and then a follow-up. Uh, how many times do you have to crucify somebody before it takes? It's <laughs> 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 good. Cat Stevens' other son. <laughs> Tabloids contact info for tell-all expose. God... The ultimate deadbeat dad. <laughs> I have a, is God my dad too? <laughs> a 
Lost, <laughs> lost Thunder after Jesse's. That's yeah. It's good. Mary Magdalene relationship status. <laughs> uh, self-publishing Bible fanfic. <laughs> Genesis 2, Susu Studio. <laughs> More like an unintended result. <laughs> uh, Kingdom, of Inhe- Kingdom of Heaven inheritance law. Next of Ken. <laughs> Very good. Lion King, Mufasa death scene. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, FedEx Kinko's near me with leather binding and gold leafing. <laughs> Was that four or five? That was five. That's the top five Google searches up. Did you have another one, Mike? Uh, that's it. That's it. All right. <laughs> Very good. They also. This next segment's called This Was Today Once. Uh, Mike Sella, on this date, 1982, Swedish chef Magnus Lindgren was born. Uh, also on this date, 1991, Senator John Hines of Pennsylvania and six others are killed when a helicopter collides with their airplane over an elementary school <laughs> in Marion, <laughs> Pennsylvania. Uh, how do you celebrate the aforementioned events in tandem? So once again, and to recap, uh, that's the chef's birthday and John Hines's death day. So Correct. I prepared a commemorative three-course meal um, to commemorate this day with the appetizer I like to call chopper poppers, um, which are mashed potato stuffed tater tots with crisscross French fries on top as the rotor. Uh, <laughs> And as, of course, John Hines was the heir to the Hines ketchup empire, a house-made ketchup slathered on top, representing the blood spilled that day. Uh, Delicious. Main course I call airplane food, um, which is a hanger steak and a T-bone steak lying across each other, served in their juices to represent all the blood spilled that day, accompanied by a mounted Swedish fish reduction representing all the blood spilled that fateful day. And for dessert, fun fact, as I'm sure you know, Academy Award-winning filmmaker Kobe Bryant uh, (laughs) attended high school at Lower Marion, Pennsylvania, where the plane went down, uh, from 1992 to 96, just a year after the fateful accident inspired him to play basketball someday. (laughs) Um, So I call this sweet dish, I Believe I Can Fly. Um, Here we have Kobe represented by a slice of tiramisu, uh, because he grew up in Italy. Uh, (laughs) Alongside a rack of basketballs, which are Swedish meatballs made with 100% Kobe beef. um, (laughs) And a lingonberry syrup drizzled over it, representing all the blood spilled that tragic day. (laughs) R.I.P. John Hines, the ketchup prince, and bon appetit. (laughs) Very good, Mike. Very good. Danielle, on this date, 1873, the Kennel Club is founded. The Kennel Club is founded. The oldest and first official registry of purebred dogs in the world. How about that? Also on this date, 1887, Angora, Kansas, elects Susan M. Salter as their first female mayor in the United States. Uh, The first female mayor in the United States. I'm drunk on one beer, on on three quarters of a beer. How do you celebrate the aforementioned events if people remember what I just said? (laughs) Kennel Club, Lady Mayor. Purebred dogs, first Kennel Club, Lady Mayor. There we are. 
Every year at this time, I like to go down to my local dog park and register dogs to vote. <laughs> People don't always take kindly to this. People don't want to mix leisure and politics, and I can understand that. <laughs> But this rant isn't about people. This rant is about dogs. It's an issue that's not going to be resolved unless we confront it honestly. Did you know that mixed breed dogs weren't allowed to participate in the Kennel Club <laughs> until 1996? That's over 150 years after the Kennel Club was formed. While purebred dogs are eligible for top honors like best in show, mixed breed dogs are relegated to lesser, some would say degrading awards like prettiest bitch and golden oldie. <laughs> These titles only serve to perpetuate the harmful archetypes of uppity superficial female and wise old mutt who don't know nothing about no purebreds, but he can tell you that what really matters is the pure love between a boy and his hound. <laughs> and maybe a good roll in the mud if you know what he means. The normalization of these stereotypes continues to hinder the advancement of mixed, mixed breed canines across the organization. And don't even get me started on crossbreeds. The treatment of canines in the crossbreed community is absolutely deplorable mostly due to a lack of understanding and awareness about what it means to be born a crossbreed and how the various identities along the, the breed spectrum are experienced by each individual animal. Great progress was seen under the leadership of John McDougall, who was the Kennel Club chairman from 1981 to 1996. He introduced the radical new idea of equality among breeds, revamping the KC Constitution and getting the youth <laughs> to participate by, by forming the Kennel Club Junior Organization. Not only that, but he brought the Kennel Club into the 21st century by establishing a computerized registration system. John McDougall inspired hope and change during his time in office. When he left office, many felt that all hope was lost. With the formation of the Assured Breed Scheme in 2004, investigators were sent out to inspect the papers of registered breeders. <laughs> this is all true. <laughs> I get where you're going. Really? Yeah. If proper breeding standards were not met, and the, uh, the right to a pedigree was revoked, and breeders were threatened with government action. A nice idea, except for the fact that the ABS is completely self-regulated and answers to no higher authority. <laughs> In 2013, the ABS became the only organization, the only regulatory organization, giving them unchecked power over the health and welfare rights of all breeds, including mixed breed and crossbreed dogs. We cannot allow our progress to be reversed. We cannot <laughs> go backwards. So in honor of great change makers like, like John McDougall and Susanna Salter, who, by the way, was elected mayor as a prank when a group of dudes threw her name in the race without telling her, <laughs> hoping that her loss would drive women out of politics. But instead, it earned her a landslide victory and the vote of every woman in town. In honor of people like these and the underdogs everywhere, each year I take their ball and run with it, <laughs> which is a really bad idea in a dog park. Don't run through a, a park with a ball. <laughs> <laughs> One gets triggered, then they all get triggered, and then that's how peaceful discourse becomes a violent dog pile. <laughs> but change requires participation. As the saying goes, if you want to walk fast, walk alone. If you want to walk far, walk together. That's why every dog that registers to vote gets a free leash with the official All Dogs Go to the Polls logo. <laughs> <laughs> Very good, Danielle. We're learning. We're laughing. That was investigative journalism. <laughs> that was. <laughs> Jesse Jones, mm -hmm. on this date, 1969, Dr. Denton Cooley nice. implants the first temporary artificial heart. Also on this date, 1648, Dutch-English sculptor Grinling Gibbons is born. Uh, how did you celebrate the aforementioned events in tandem? For many, art is life. 
But could not not then life also be art being life? I decided yes. And did the only thing that made any sense in celebration of a day like today. I held an artistic artificial organ design contest, gallery show, and surgical theater to find the most artistically dazzling and theoretically viable, viable artificial organs. Our entries were wildly varied in concept, composition, and medium. Some of my favorites included Asher Speed's sculpture, Pancre, yes, <laughs> a kiln-fired porcelain pancreas in the shape of a half-eaten cupcake, <laughs> a book of poems from Naomi Angnon entitled A Beating Heart, it's a collection of poems from Naomi's sophomore year at UC Berkeley. And were mostly inspired by an unrequited crush she had on a girl in her feminist trigonometry lab, <laughs> which she took as part of her math degenderization de studies. <laughs> math <laughs> It's just trying to think of things that would make sense at Berkeley. Yeah. Feminist trigonometry, right. math degenderization. Um, <laughs> she was convinced the power of the love in those words would be sufficient to power a human circulatory system. And there was also street artist Yazo's piece, Chaos Marches, <laughs> which was just a single dollar bill floating in a 19-gallon aquarium with his own urine, <laughs> which he insisted could replace a person's sense of touch. <laughs> Full disclosure, so far everyone who's received one of my uh, arts uh, has almost immediately died from various factors range, ranging from massive urine-soaked dollar billboard infections <laughs> to ceramics almost complete inability to excrete insulin. <laughs> But that's all right. Art is pain. <laughs> Art isn't for the faint of heart. Or as we're quickly finding out, the diseased, failing, or paper-based heart. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. That was This Was Today Once. Which brings us to our next segment called Movie Makeup. Movie Makeup, please have written a synopsis based off the following movie titles. Michael Sella. The name of your movie is Count the Monte Cristos. <laughs> Count the Monte Cristos. <laughs> Count the Monte Cristos. History professor Bert Cunty, uh, that's, that's K-U-N-T-E, uh, played by Nicolas Cage, is poring over his notes for tomorrow's lecture on the French Revolution when he makes a startling discovery. Of famous French author Alexandre Dumas' two major works, The Three Musketeers and The Count of Monte Cristo, only one is very specific. There are three musketeers, but how many Monte Cristos are there? <laughs> Can people in Monte Cristo even count? Maybe it is supposed to be pronounced Alexander Dumbass. <laughs> uh, there's only one way to find out. Professor Conti quickly establishes, assembles a time machine and travels back in time to France circa 1844, where he comes face-to-face -face with Alexander Dumas, played by Brendan Fraser. Uh, <laughs> Together they eat bread, drink wine, and take LSD. Uh, <laughs> Professor Cunty is about to ask the question, how many monocristos are there 
when the trip goes haywire and they find themselves in France circa 1815 on a boat with none other than the Count of Monte Cristo, played by Idris Elba. Uh, the Count takes out his acoustic guitar and covers his favorite song, Smells Like Guillotine Spirit. Uh, <laughs> and they all eat magic mushrooms with a bechamel sauce. Prof Professor Cunty again is about to ask the all-important question when the Count proclaims, Écoutez, écoutez, je suis Monte Cristo. Tu es Monte Cristo. Il es Monte Cristo. El est Monte Cristo. <laughs> Nous sommes Monte Cristo. Vous êtes Monte Cristo. <laughs> Professor Conti exclaims, I finally understand. We're all Monte Cristo. <laughs> I'm Monte Cristo. You're Monte Cristo. She's Monte Cristo and so is he. As many people are in the world, that is how many Monte Cristos are in the world because we're all one. Alexander Dumas begins to speak. Actually, I think he was just conjugating the verb. In French, there are, shut up, dumbass! <laughs> Professor Conti interrupts. Professor Conti wakes up in, front of, in his office and delivers his lecture the next day with a barely perceptible wry smile on his face because he and he alone is able to count the Monte Cristos. Very good, Mike Stella. <laughs> count. I'd like Monte to do Cristo. that one over again with a different <laughs> <laughs> concept. Thanks. <laughs> that was fun. Danielle Mandela, the name of your movie is called Harry Poppins. Harry Poppins. This riveting documentary explores the life of Dickensian street urchin Harry Poppins, who is the real-life inspiration behind the beloved Disney character Mary Poppins. After losing both of his parents to the rampant alcoholism of the Great Depression, eight-year-old Harry Poppins finds himself a ward of the state. After spending five years in a group home run by nuns and overzealous candy stripers, Harry develops a case of severe diabetes from all the sugar he was forced to ingest. <laughs> he manages to escape the facility in search of a better life on the outside. The harsh reality of the English winter soon sets in. Delirious with cold, Harry befriends a chimney sweep who offers to sneak him into the chimney of a wealthy investor named Mr. Pennyman, who would later become the inspiration for Mr. Banks. Harry dwells in the chimney of Mr. Pennyman's parlor unnoticed for several years. To pass the time, he would tell himself stories of the mother he never had, drawing pictures in charcoal on the walls of the chimney to accompany the stories. Using the walls to rewrite his own history, his stories came alive with images of bluebirds and dancing nuns. At night, he would whistle tunes he made up to help himself fall asleep, and in the morning, he'd scribble the notes of the songs next to the pictures. The chimney sweep continued to bring him food and water throughout the winter until one day his visits abruptly stopped. By then, nearly 16 years old and still growing, Harry had grown too large to free himself from the chimney. <laughs> when the visits from the chimney sweep ceased, so too did Harry's heart. <laughs> so dark. <laughs> nearly two decades later, when Walt Disney was scouting locations for his UK theme park, <laughs> he came across the Pennyman estate, which had been vacant since the mysterious disappearance of Mr. Pennyman. It would later be discovered that Harry was not the only young man trapped in one of the many chimneys of Mr. Pennyman's property. <laughs> Horrified and disgusted by the revelation, Walt Disney ordered the estate to be demolished, vowing to bury its ruins deep beneath the happiest place on earth. Involved as he was in all of his projects, Mr. Disney was present on the as the demolition began. Because of a faulty trigger and the explosions in the West Wing, only half of the parlor was affected by the blast. It was only then that the inside of the chimney walls was exposed. Mr. Disney discovered the elaborate stories and drawings that Harry Poppins had left behind. 
and immediately began pr production on Mary Poppins. Combin <laughs> <laughs> combining live action and animation in homage to Harry and the imagina imaginary world that sustained him throughout his short life in the chimney. Oh my God. <laughs> Very good. Very good. I want to see this actual <laughs> movie. I want to see that. Jesse Jones, the name of your movie. Fisher Price Super Scar. Fisher <laughs> Price Super Scar. We were watching Jesus Christ Superstar. I'm yeah. sorry. And well, now we. I was high. We switched to the <laughs> to switch to the darker side of imagination. <laughs> <laughs> this is a documentary. Again, we've got a lot of documentaries going. Um, following America's most popular manufacturer of children's toys, Fisher Price. And the trail of destruction and misery left <laughs> scattered through the lives of generations of children. <laughs> God. The scars left on the psyche of so many impressionable youths, <laughs> deceived, man manipulated, and traumatized by Fisher Price's flimsy, primary colored castle of lies. <laughs> Young Candace Mitchell has no feeling in her hands and has never prepared a meal for herself after she was severely burned by a plastic stovetop in the Laugh and Learn Serving Up Fun food truck playset. <laughs> was there any gas or electricity in the playset? No. The power of her imagination was just that strong. <laughs> She's currently awaiting approval from her insurance company for an experimental procedure, which may help restore her sense of touch. Dylan Neesom <laughs> has a deep distrust of farm animals after being told in no uncertain terms by his see and say exactly what several animals said and then never hearing them utter those words even once in the wild <laughs> causing him to believe that these cruel barnyard monsters were talking about him behind his back in front of his face <laughs> in this nonsense, made-up, gibberish animal language. <laughs> Such a mess. Uh, <laughs> while Aaron Weissman's scars are all too easy to see, as when he was a child, he swallowed both lions, both zebras, <laughs> both elephants, both giraffes, and Noah himself <laughs> from his little people Noah's Ark playset. When, while in the bathtub, the little plastic ark was too far out of reach, and the only way Aaron could think to protect the animals from the tub flood was in his tummy. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> the figures required many hours of invasive surgery to remove and caused Aaron to lose his belief in the stories of the Bible. <laughs> uh. <laughs> That's kind of a happy one. <laughs> Fisher Price. Super scars. Are you as at fault as we say you are? Decide for yourself in very few theaters anywhere this August. Very good. That was movie makeup. That's so, I, uh, so again, Jesse and I work at the same place. And I'm able to see what he searches on a computer because of the way, the way I sit. <laughs> and I, I saw you looking up Fisher-Price toys, and I'm like, why is he doing that today at work? 
Just, so just, we just, need a Jesse Jones well, top five. It all <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ooh, that's, that, that will happen. That's a box <laughs> nobody wants to open. <laughs> all right. This is the final segment of the evening. Fucking prepare yourselves. I'm sorry, Mike. <laughs> um, this last segment's called Write an Erotic Poem About It. Please have composed an erotic poem in regard to the following things. Mike Sella, please, please have written a poem about Crocs footwear. Mm. Crocs footwear. This is easy because I already had written it a few years ago. <laughs> uh, <laughs> hey there. Yeah, you, my beautiful Belle. Sexy feet encased in a plastic shell. <laughs> feet that could break the internet because they have sunspots from the little holes. <laughs> They leave your feet spotted like a cheetah. Yeah, you. Won't you please put your crock in my mouth? <laughs> I see you standing there about to put on those normal shoes and leave me crock blocked. <laughs> Take off those shoes so I can suck your crocs. <laughs> Big black crocs and white crocs too. I want to take every crock in the world and make them into a stew. Put him in my crock pot. <laughs> Before I leave for work, come home and leave a big load of crock <laughs> all over you. Very good. Crocs footwear. Very good, Michael. So um, I'm actively trying as a comedian to become sponsored by Crocs. I don't know if they can. These are actually the new look of Crocs, everyone. They're oh, like wow. boat shoes. These are Crocs. Look. Uh, give, me that. Crocs. give me that thing right there. I'm just... <laughs> <laughs> Let me see that. They're not what they look like. A while ago, I just look like penny loafer vans. They, they're Crocs. <laughs> they're, very, they're the most comfortable shoe I've ever worn. Do you need twenty dollars? I do need. <laughs> we'll give you to buy another pair. <laughs> All right. <laughs> very good. Uh, Danielle Mandela, let's hear an erotic poem about the Trump Russia investigation. This one's entitled Mueller. I hardly knew her. <laughs> Go ahead, kill the lights, for no darkness exists deep enough to hide the undercover monster with one eye always winking. Hungry eyes probing deep inside while strong, capable hands have yet to touch. Teasing for time with everything but. Distractions help control the burn that threatens a premature wildfire. Once upon a stormy night, Tightly rolled Forbes perched at your lips like a megaphone of a traveling evangelist. You whisper, I spy with my golden eye. No rush in this game. <laughs> Get it, you ask? Rubbing against me like a dog that won't let me stop scratching its ass. Again and again, you say, no rush in this game. No rush in this game. No Russian. It's then that I slapped you with your magazine. Condescending... Condescending taunts fly from your fingertips on the wings of a little blue bird. You demand I repeat your words back to you. Like I don't understand that it's a play on words and you're implying that, you're implying that no Russians are in the room with us right now. <laughs> Which is a stupid joke and there's no reason to make it unless at some point there was a Russian in the room right now. <laughs> like lurking in the closet with a camera or something. Then you laugh and laugh and you think no one gets it because you're too clever for our average minds. But everyone gets it. We get it. <laughs> and the only reason we don't try to correct you anymore is to save our strength for the explosive finale to come. But still, I grow tired. 
Are we there yet? Each time momentum swells up again, I can't help but count down the seconds to release. Three, Robert Mueller. Two, Robert Mueller. One. <laughs> Very good. I am erect. <laughs> okay. Jesse Jones, uh-huh. uh, wrap this show up or down, whichever, uh, with an erotic poem in regards to falling down while roller skating. All right. This one's titled Head Over Wheels. (laughs) All skate. It's getting late. (laughs) To show my crush how great I am in a pair of rented skates. Red light. Green light. My timing wasn't right. My star wouldn't show as bright to show her how cool I am. So super tight. (laughs) Around the corner, screaming by, making pass after skillful pass. With no idea, not even imagining, I'm about to fall on my ass. (laughs) Just as I pass her and start to make my turn, my stopper catches, my feet disappear, my elbows (laughs) feel the burn. Rest is just a hazy blur. How it ended, I'm not sure. They say I was screaming and crying before I hit the wall. (laughs) But it could have been worse. Could have broken my hip, my pelvis, and all. Fortunately, my hormones were raging. And my pubescent boner broke my fall. (laughs) (laughs) Very good. That is the end of Stab. It's over. Stab's over. One more time for your contestants. Mike Sella! Danielle Mandela! And Jesse Jones. Guys, if you'd like to hear more stabs, go to one of our many online outlets. Stab for Gold, stab the number four gold.com. Also, if you're available, April 28th, we'll be at Black Top Comedy filming six pilot episodes of this show for TV. So uh, come out and, and look that up. Stabforgold.com.